Broadcasting live from the North Fulton Business Radio X studio, it's time for To Your Health with Dr. Jim Morrow. To Your Health is brought to you by Morrow Family Medicine, an award-winning primary care practice, which brings the care back to health care. Hello, this is Dr. Jim Morrow. I'm with Morrow Family Medicine. We have offices in Cumming in Milton, Georgia. And uh, at Mara Family Medicine, we utilize as much technology as we can to make your care better and quicker and more reasonable for you. We also try to apply the old-fashioned attitudes that you might remember from the good old days when you'd go to the doctor and they seemed to care what was wrong with you. And we try to do those things and bring a better life to you and to your family. I'm here in the North Fulton Business Radio Studio with John Ray here at Renaissance Bank on Wynwood Parkway in Alpharetta. Hey, John. Good morning, Jim. How you, are you? Well, I'm good, but you've got them all stirred up today. Well, we're going to get them stirred up. If we hadn't gotten them yet, we're going to. No, well, I've already got some. Have you you? Hadn't, even had, awesome. hadn't even told them what you're going to talk about, and I've already got them stirred up. I put a little teaser out on the Facebook page, <laughs> and I was hoping we might get something. You got it. So, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So, if you are excited about why vaccinate, which is what we're going to talk about today. You can reach out to us by email at drjim, that's drjim at toyourhealth.md, or you can tweet us at toyourhealthmd. Uh, and like John said, we're, we're probably going to get some tweets, and if we could get phone calls, we got those coming in the future, I understand, but certainly some tweets and maybe some emails about this because this is a subject that is near and dear to just about everybody's heart, probably everybody really, because it's a very important topic. Uh, it's a topic that's been in the news an awful lot recently, and it's really always been out there because there's just an awful lot of controversy, which there shouldn't be, and misinformation, which there will always be, about vaccines. So if you're going to talk about vaccines, let's go back to the beginning. The beginning for vaccines was Edward Jenner taking cowpox material from a cow, an actual cow, and using it to prevent smallpox, a cousin of the cowpox, in humans. And this goes back to 1796 when he was doing this because smallpox was a huge problem. Uh, and it, of course, in epidemic form across the globe. And they were very concerned about it. And Edward Jenner was the first one to come up with a way to try to prevent an, an infection by using a part of another infection to do that. It was almost a hundred years later that Louis Pasteur, that most people have heard of from pasteurization and such as that, came up with a rabies vaccine for humans. And that was in the late 1880s, 1885, I think it was. So Pasteur came up with that because, again, rabies at the time was a huge problem, as it is a small problem now. But people even today are still getting a form of the rabies vaccine that he began working with in 1885. And then following that in the early 1900s and such was really the, the dawn of bacteriolo bacteriology. And developments were happening very rapidly. Anatoxins and vaccines were being developed against things like diphtheria, tetanus, or lockjaw as some people call it, anthrax, cholera, plague. Plague was a gigantic problem early on typhoid, tuberculosis, and even more. And these were developed all the way up through the 1930s using uh, vaccines in the very early days of it. And then the middle of the 20th century was a very active time for development of vaccines and research and vaccine development. So the main thing that changed through the middle of the 20th century 
was the way to grow viruses in a laboratory and the ability to grow viruses in a laboratory. Now, if you're what they insist on calling a non-vaxxer, someone who doesn't vaccinate for one of the myriad of poor reasons that you might have, if you're one of those people, you might be concerned about the cell lines that are used for tissue culture and for virus culture. And these cell lines have been developed over the years. They've changed these cell lines, and it's really the development of these tissue lines that the viruses are grown in that has made all of immunology possible in the the current day. And these tissue lines are such that they basically don't die. They are uh, able to be kept alive for extremely long periods of time. They're able to be used in a lab repeatedly for this sort of research. And it's the kind of thing that has really changed completely the ability to make vaccines to measles and mumps and rubella and other things like that and really reduce the disease burden for everybody on our planet overall. And nowadays, they're able to use what's called recombinant DNA technology, which is where flu vaccines, for example, might have absolutely no flu virus in it at all. They might have nothing in them other than some DNA from the flu virus itself. That And the DNA creates the immunity in your body, so you're never exposed to the virus, and there's no way in the world you can ever get sick from a flu shot. And I'm not going to talk about specific viruses and specific vaccines in great detail today. This is really to talk to you about why you should vaccinate. But I am going to take a second to say that Everybody on the planet over six months old should have a flu vaccine in the month of October if you're not allergic to something in the vaccine and with the recombinant DNA, that's next to impossible. So that's my spiel on flu vaccines. Everybody should get one in October. So in the news in 2019, there has been a lot said about measles. And measles is probably the topic that has brought the vaccine argument, if you will, to the forefront more than anything else. In 2019, up up until the end of June, at least, there have been over a thousand cases, almost 1,100 cases of measles reported in the United States. That's an increase of 18 cases from the previous week. Every week, there are more kids coming down with measles in this country. And this is a country that declared measles eliminated in the year 2000. It's the greatest number of cases in the, in the United States since 1992. If you go back to 2014, there were 660 cases, and again, 1,100 already in the first six months of this year. So the spread of measles is accentuating, is growing. The threat of measles is growing. And the question, of course, is why? And the answer to that question is that so many people are unvaccinated. The majority of the people who got measles in 2019 and in the last decades have been the unvaccinated citizens. Measles is still very common in other parts of the world. So travelers are bringing measles into the country, but the people that are getting it are the unvaccinated. About a week ago, we had a family in the office who didn't believe in vaccines. They didn't want to have their child vaccinated, and their reason was that they were concerned that their child would make someone else sick if they got vaccinated. They didn't want their kids in school because they were afraid their child would get sick from the vaccinated, which is just completely opposite 
any truth, any science. And it's an argument that's fairly common in the community of people that don't vaccinate, the people who are putting every single one of us and our children and grandchildren at risk. So when it comes to misconceptions about things in medicine, there probably are not many things or topics that have many more misconceptions than vaccines. You hear them all the time. If you make the mistake of looking online, you're going to find more than you will ever have the time to read. But I want to talk about some of them because hopefully we can clear some of them up. And it's important that people who are listening understand that what I'm saying today is not based on what I think. It's not based on what I wish. It's based on science. It's based on research and factual information that's different from something that somebody posts online. That's not science. That's a a thought somebody had, and people are entitled to their thoughts, but they're not entitled to present it as science and try to change the ways of the world scientifically. So one of the misconceptions is that diseases had already begun to disappear before the vaccines were ever introduced because of better hygiene and sanitation. Now, it's, it's hard for us as Americans in 2019 to be very aware of this, but in the old days, 200 years ago, 300, 400 years ago, health and sanitation were completely different from what we know today. Uh, We have absolutely no concept, I'm sure, of what it was like. But statements like this are are very common in the anti-vaccine crowd, and the intent of the concept and of the argument is to suggest that vaccines are just not needed. Well, socioeconomic conditions have undoubtedly improved, and there's no question that's had an indirect impact. Better nutrition is available, and there's no question that better nutrition has an impact on both your ability to fight off disease and prevent getting disease in the first place. Less crowded living conditions have reduced disease transmission. People living right on top of each other and being sick, there's no question that that plays a part in higher disease rates. Lower birth rates have decreased the number of contacts in an individual household. But looking at the actual number of people getting diseases over the years leaves little doubt that vaccines have, in fact, had a significant impact in modern times. I mean, there have been peaks and valleys throughout all the years of disease rates, but the real permanent drop in measles coincided directly with the licensure and the wide use of the measles vaccine beginning back in 1963. If you were vaccinated after 1963, you really don't need to be too concerned about all the information about measles because you got a vaccine that is very effective and long-lasting. If you're vaccinated before that, feel free to get your levels checked, your titers checked at the doctor's office, and be sure that you're immune. But other vaccine-preventable diseases also show a similar pattern in incidence and decrease of incidence. Everything except hepatitis B. Now, if you got a vaccine to hepatitis B, you're getting that vaccine as a very young child to prevent you from getting hepatitis B when you're sexually active. So there's going to be at least a 15 or more year lag in the decrease in hepatitis B rates that you'll see, but we do believe that we're going to see those. But that's the way that happens. And also uh, a disease called haemophilus influenza or HIB, 
which causes meningitis and pneumonia and a few other things, those rates also will be sluggish in coming down because that's a a vaccine that's given early for disease that happens later. But there's no question, if you look at these numbers and look at the science behind this, that the vaccines have decreased the incidence of these diseases. Now, since sanitation is not better than it was in 1990, it's hard to attribute the virtual disappearance of this HIV disease in children at the appropriate age to anything other than routine vaccination. HIV disease, or H-flu disease as it's also called, dropped from an estimated 20,000 cases a year to 1,400 cases in 1993. And it's just impossible to attribute that to anything other than vaccines because, as I mentioned, health and hygiene hasn't changed since then. If you look at other countries and what's kind of gone the other way, some other countries, Great Britain, Sweden, I think Japan, decreased the use of the whooping cough for pertussis vaccine because they had concerns about the vaccine, and their, their rates of pertussis in those countries skyrocketed. They had an epidemic of over 100,000 cases of whooping cough in Great Britain in 1978, before 1978. And in Japan, about the same time, the vaccination rates dropped from 70% to 20 or 30%, and that led in a jump in whooping cough from 300 cases to 13,000 cases. When vaccination rates go down, disease rates go up. It's always been shown. So it seems clear to me from these experiences that not only would these diseases not be disappearing without vaccines, but if we stop vaccinating, they're going to go back up here just like they have in these other countries. The Soviet Union quit putting out um, diphtheria vaccine in the 1990s. And rates were really low and booster vaccines weren't being done. And they had a skyrocket in their cases. And there are just more and more and more of these instances and these examples where you can see that when vaccination rates drop, disease rates go up. And I've been talking about giving vaccines to children, and that's very, very important. But older people need vaccines as well. As we age, our immune system weakens. Older adults are more likely not only to be infected, but to develop complications from vaccine-preventable diseases. Pneumonia and infection by the pneumococcus, which causes pneumonia and a variety of other infections, is a very serious problem in older people, and it's very easily prevented with the vaccines that we have today. And even though the immunity from some vaccines decrease over time, we are able to give boosters to young and old people so that they can continue to maintain the immunity that they need against these bacteria and viruses over time. And that's one of the reasons that the flu vaccine is necessary every year. And one of the reasons also is the flu virus mutates easily, and every single year the virus is going to be a little bit different. So I want to take a second and tell you a little bit more about Mara Family Medicine. I mentioned earlier we have offices in Cumming and Milton. We have two physicians. We have four PAs, physician assistants, and one nurse practitioner. We have a brand-new physician assistant that just joined us recently, and we're very excited about that. 
We feel like we've got a wide array of people who can take care of you, providing you not only the expertise that you need, but also the personality type that you might want to deal with. We don't assign patients to providers. You can see anyone you want, anytime you want, so that if you find a particular relationship fits you best, you can stick with that one. And you can also see different people in our practice until you find the one that you think is the best suit for you. So we ask you to Give us a chance and let us try to take care of you. We think we will do as good a job, if not better, than anybody, and we want to bring care back to health care, as we like to say. So that's what we're about at Mara Family Medicine. While you're listening to the podcast, if you like what you're hearing, I would ask you to hit the subscribe button on your app so that you can follow us and get new episodes as they come out, which is on the second and fourth Wednesday of every month. So the most controversial part about vaccines is safety. And I appreciate as much as anyone that parents are concerned about their children's safety. But it's a little bit oxymoronic to be concerned about your child's safety and not have them vaccinated against the very things that they're attacked with on a daily basis just out in the environment, just by going to school, just by going to daycare, just by being at the grocery store. So some of the things that have people concerned about safety I'd like to talk about. And the the fact is vaccines save lives and protect against the spread of disease. Now, that's a fact. If you decide not to immunize, you're not only putting your child at risk to catch some disease that's dangerous or deadly, but you're also putting others who come in contact with your child at risk. And you, you see the cartoons of Pigpen with the dust bowl flying around him. And that's exactly what not just kids, but people are. And all of that that's around them can get onto you and cause a problem for you if you're susceptible to whatever disease that might be. And getting vaccinated is much better than getting that disease. Some of the most devastating diseases that affect children have been greatly reduced or even eradicated completely thanks, thanks to vaccination. I'm 65 years old, and I remember very clearly going to the schoolhouse in the first grade and getting my polio vaccine on a sugar cube. And I believe, John, you're probably old enough to remember doing that too, aren't you? Well, I'm right behind you. That's what I thought. Right behind you. I knew you couldn't be too far. (laughs) And I remember the line of people at that school to get that vaccine. And the reason they were there because – the hospital wards, which is what they were, rooms full of 20 or 30 patients, were full of people, most of them children, on iron lung machines who could not breathe on their own because of polio. It's a devastating thing, and we don't really today have a good idea of that because that's been forgotten. And people don't realize what a horrible thing that was, and the polio vaccine changed that completely and has made a tremendous difference in that. Today, we protect children and teens from 16 different diseases that can and do have a terrible effect on victims if they're left unvaccinated. Your doctor knows that you care about your child's health and safety. I know they do. And that's why you need to get all the facts, the facts from a medical professional who you can trust before you make any decisions based on stories you may have seen or heard on TV or on the Internet or from other parents. And this is why I mentioned earlier that science is the reason that you need to do these things. Vaccines work. 
They've kept, kept children healthy, and they've saved millions of lives for more than 50 years in America and across the globe. Most childhood, childhood vaccines are 90 to 99% effective, so they work extremely well. If your child or your person has gotten a vaccine and they get the disease anyway, the symptoms are usually much, much less serious, and the complications that they have to face down the line are usually much less than they are in a child who hasn't been vaccinated. And yes, vaccines have side effects. If you get a shot in your arm for tetanus, that's going to introduce a reaction in your body that's going to make your body produce antibodies to tetanus. And that process is inflammatory, and it's going to make your arm hurt, and the site's going to get red, and it's going to pass, and you're going to be fine. And nobody ever died from a reaction on the arm where it got red and warm from a tetanus shot. It's just something that you need to tolerate so that you can be immune to tetanus or diphtheria or measles or whatever the disease process might be that you're trying to prevent your loved one from getting. And I think it's incredibly important that people understand that these vaccines work. The other thing is vaccines are safe. Before a vaccine's ever given the FDA reviews all of the aspects of development, all of the aspects of the research, including where and how the vaccine's made and all the studies that have been conducted in people who got the vaccine and studies to be prepared to get this licensure. They will not license a vaccine unless it meets very specific standards. So if the vaccine's on the market, you can know that it's been through incredible amounts of research and trial to be sure that it's safe and that it's effective, that it's both safe and effective. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, reviews all of these studies, and they work closely with associations like the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Academy of Family Physicians before a vaccine is ever allowed to be given to anyone in the country. And every lot Every group of vaccines that are made are tested to be sure the quality is there and to be sure there's nothing in those vaccines that's not supposed to be. And I'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute, but when it comes to safety, the first thing people think about with vaccines is autism. And many years ago, a report was out that showed that MMR vaccine was causing autism. The measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine was causing autism. And this has been proven and admitted to be a fraud, and it has stirred up most of the anti-vaccine sentiment in the country. That's the thing that got most people started against vaccines was the idea that you would introduce autism in someone by giving them a vaccine. And it has all been proven wrong. It's all been proven not to be the case. Nobody's ever gotten autism from a vaccine. The other thing is vaccines are necessary. We wouldn't be having the conversation if they weren't necessary. You wouldn't be going to the doctor and the doctor telling you that you needed this or that or the other vaccine if they weren't necessary. Vaccines have prevented children and continue to prevent children from getting many, many diseases. And in many parts of the world, many vaccine-preventable diseases are, are there that are rarely seen in this country because there, the vaccine rates are not as good as they are here. And where we do the vaccinations, we just don't see these things. So they're, they're necessary to prevent people here 
from getting diseases from people who are traveling here from places where these disease processes are still happening every single day. And it makes you realize how very fortunate we are to be in this country because we do have access to this kind of health care and this kind of prevention. Because there's anything about medicine that's more rewarding than preventing a problem. I'm not real sure what it is. Vaccines are studied even after they come out and after they're licensed. They are still studied. There's a system called the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, that is out there so that physicians have a place to notify the powers that be, if you will, that somebody had a reaction to a vaccine. So if you get a vaccine anywhere and you have a reaction to it, even if it's a simple faint, if you have a reaction to it, this is reported to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, and that is something that can be tracked. Now, if you can't look at the Vaccine Reporting System and see what sort of side effects vaccines cause, because anytime you put a needle in somebody, they can pass out. That doesn't mean it's got anything whatsoever to do with the vaccine. And anytime you put a vaccine in somebody, you can end up with a red hot swollen tender joint or a place where the injection was given. And that doesn't mean it was the, the tetanus or it doesn't mean it was the pneumococcus or the flu that was in that. It just means that you got a shot and you had a sore place on your arm. So you can look into these things, but you can't draw conclusions that the immunization itself and the material in the immunization caused a specific problem. It's just a way for people to see if there's a pattern, and it's all about that. And parents can also file reports on the reporting system. So you don't need your physician to do it. If you have an, an immunization and you get some sort of reaction, you can go online and you can do that yourself. In recent years, it's become significantly more popular to give children multiple vaccines at one time. And this is not something that physicians just decided to do to either give more shots at one time or to limit the number of office visits or to increase the price of the office visit. This is done because vaccination schedules are very specific to the disease processes and the ages at which children are most susceptible. So when you go to the doctor and he says, your child needs five vaccines. Give them five vaccines because you're going to miss an opportunity to intervene when this child is most susceptible to the diseases themselves if you don't. And it's, it's, it's been studied. It's been shown that we're not overwhelming anybody's immune system. We're not giving them diseases themselves. We're only making them start the immune building process at the time when it's appropriate. The overall aim is to provide early protection for these infants and children against the vaccine-preventable diseases that can endanger their lives and their health. There's no scientific evidence to support delaying vaccines or separating them into individual antigens, individual shots. There's no scientific evidence that that's beneficial at all. All it does is it prolongs susceptibility. It makes the child more likely to get sick from something that they didn't have to get sick with. And it adds extra expense. It's more visits. It's more time taken to go to the doctor. These things are done for a very good reason. Now, some people are concerned about what's in the vaccine other than the 
immunization itself, preservatives specifically. And two of the most popular ones that people rant and rave about are aluminum and thimerosal. Well, aluminum has been shown that there's just not enough in anything to cause any kind of problem. And even though there's some books out there about aluminum in vaccines, there's absolutely no science behind the idea that aluminum in immunizations is causing problems. There's no study that's ever been done to show that. It was just an idea somebody had, and they put it out there and people ran with it. So you don't have to worry about aluminum in your vaccines. The bigger, more popular topic when it comes to preservatives is thimerosal. Thimerosal is a form of mercury. And because it's a form of mercury, people think, oh, my God, mercury is horrible. You can't be exposing my child to mercury. Well, if you're talking about the mercury that's in fish and in seafood, yes, that can be dangerous. And if you get too much of that in your system, it can absolutely have bad effects, especially on neurologic development. But that mercury is methylmercury. That's a specific type of mercury. But thimerosal is not methylmercury. It's ethylmercury. And even though it's only one letter difference, it's all the difference in the world. And it's a very good preservative, and it's been in vaccines for years, until recently. And finally, because of the hoopla about thimerosal, it was taken out. And it's not, there's no thimerosal now in any of the vaccines in the country except multi-dose influenza vaccine vials. And they do still have thimerosal in them, but the amount of thimerosal you're going to get exposure to is just inconsequential, and there's not any evidence whatsoever that even that's a problem. And I think most physicians' offices give individual dose vaccines now, so there's no thimerosal in those. But if you ever are given a vaccine from a multi-dose vial, there'll be thimerosal in that, but it is not a bad form of mercury, and there's nothing it's going to do other than help keep you from getting sick. I talked about autism. Autism is something that caused as many problems with vaccines as anything I can remember. And like I said, there's no science behind this. The whole article was retracted as being fraudulent. The information, though, the misinformation persists, and it's called long-standing arguments and consequences. Multiple studies have been done that found no even casual link between vaccination and autism. But the falsified report continues to have some parents concerned. And I like parents being concerned, but I like them being rationally concerned and not overly concerned or certainly not basing their concern on misinformation and bad information. So why vaccinate? Why bother? Well, the vaccination's immediate benefit is individual immunity. It protects the person that got the shot from the disease that's in the vaccine. That's the immediate benefit from it. It provides long-term, in many cases, lifelong immunity. Vaccines are recommended from very early age against measles, chickenpox, pneumococcal disease, and other things. And as children grow, additional vaccines provide them benefit and protection from the other diseases that they might get as an older child or a young adult. Travelers to certain parts of the world 
require things like yellow fever vaccines, as in South Africa and Af- South America and Africa. These diseases are still prevalent. And so if you're going to certain places, you're going to need other vaccines for that because you don't want to go there and get that, and you surely don't want to get it and then bring it back here. But the secondary benefit of vaccination is what's called herd immunity, or also called, some people call it community immunity, but that's too much unity for me, so I call it herd immunity. Herd immunity refers to the protection that people get in a community with high vaccination rates. So if you're one of the unvaccinated, but you live in an area where most people are vaccinated, you're unlikely to get the disease because it's just not in your community at a great rate. And so that's something that people, even the non-vaxxers, benefit from. But if we continue at the rate we've been going and the non-vaxxer percentage increases enough, then we're going to have more people who are not vaccinated than are, and this whole thing is going to flip back to where it was before. And that's the big concern with people not getting vaccinated. If you have enough people in a community who have gotten a vaccine against a particular disease, it's very difficult for the disease process to gain a foothold in that area. It offers protection to those who are unable to get vaccinations, like the very newborn or people with chronic illnesses, people who have been through bone marrow transplant, that kind of thing. And it also provides people who have not been fully immunized, people that didn't get an entire series of a vaccine. It provides them with a chance to not get that disease because most of the people that they are around are immunized. Whenever the immunization rates drop in a given community, the threat of widespread disease occurs. The threshold for herd immunity for polio, for example, is estimated between 80 and 85 percent. So if the vaccination rate drops significantly below 80 or 85 percent, the level of protection in the community to polio is decreased and the chance of polio coming out again is goes up. And that's a threat to every single person. So we need to try to encourage people to continue to get vaccinated and encourage those who have not done it to go, to go ahead and get vaccinated. In England, the vaccination rates for MMR dropped. They didn't think people needed to get boosters and they didn't do it. And the herd immunity was, was really waning. In the late 90s, the rates began to drop down to 90 and then 80% even lower. And so the herd immunity against measles was going away. Cases began to rise, and that's something that has been seen time and time again, and that's why it's extremely important that most of the people, we're talking 90-plus percent of people in a community, get these vaccines. It does more than just protect the individual. It protects the entire community. So in a nutshell, vaccinate your child. Get your information from your physician, not off of Facebook, not off of Twitter. Get your information from a source that you trust. And if the physician you're going to is not a source that you trust, go to another physician. But you need somebody you can have a relationship with and a conversation with that will end up with your child being vaccinated and with you being vaccinated sufficiently so that you don't get these diseases that are very much avoidable 
and are devastating when you do see them. The end result of things like polio and H-flu meningitis, for crying out loud, and just anything and everything, even shingles. If you get down to the, to the, the dirt of shingles and an adult who hasn't had a shingles vaccine, and if you've seen terrible cases of shingles, this is, this is a horrible thing, and, and it's not going to kill anybody, but I'm telling you, shingles will change your life if you're not careful. And there's a vaccine for that now. And so I encourage you to, to use your brain, use your, your heart as well, speak to your physician, and immunize yourself and your family. And the reason, the number one reason to do this is science. So, John, this is what I got on vaccines. Well, you ready? <laughs> I don't know, Emma. I hope so. <laughs> well, we've got uh, the pros and the cons coming in here. So, um, I'll give you, you, I'll give you a fastball first. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) So, um, several, uh, comments, uh, including who are you to tell me how to take care of my family? Um, and why should I believe, uh, uh, your science over somebody, somebody else's science? I've, I've also seen the term fake science here. Yeah. Well, who who am I to tell you to do that? Well, I am a scientist, number one. I am a believer in science. And to start off, if you're not a believer in science, you're never going to get this. You have to believe in something. And I believe in two things, the good Lord and science. And so I'm hopefully a trusted individual. And if I'm not, you need to find somebody else to go to or to listen to who believes the science that I read and the science that I learn. And the science tells me that this is the thing that should be done. What was the second part of that? My memory's not what it could be. Um, well, the, the, it, you addressed the second part. The first part was kind of who are you to tell me how to take care of my family? Well, Because this is my decision, not I, yours. I agree. It is your decision. There's no question about that. But I am the person that people come to to ask that advice. And if they ask that advice, this is what I'm going to tell them. And if they they don't want that advice, they need to go somewhere else. And if they don't like the advice, they're also welcome to go somewhere else. In fact, in our practice, if they don't vaccinate, we ask them to go somewhere else because we don't want children who are unvaccinated bringing these diseases into our office. There's another question here about how this movement started. You And you answered a little bit of that because there, you talked about the concern over fetal tissue that some folks have you. So you address that piece of it, but somebody that's uh, sounds like they're really trying to understand where all this came from out of the seemingly out of the blue over the last few years. Do you know the answer to that? Well, I think most of it stemmed from the autism debate. Yeah. I think the autism debate really is the thing that, that started it. And I don't think there's any question that if you look at the uh, population today and you talk to people about autism in the spectrum, that, a ton more kids are diagnosed with autism today than ever were when you and I were young. But I think the biggest reason for that is the diagnosis has broadened so very much. Uh, there's, there's so many kids today who might have Asperger's or something like that, who back in the days when I was in school, they were just that kid over there. They didn't have any disease. They didn't have a diagnosis. They were just Joe. And, and now they're Joe who has Asperger's or has autism. And so the number of children who carry that diagnosis has definitely gone up. 
And I think that's a good thing because I think it gets them help that they need and some assistance that they need in a lot of different ways. But it also brought about the question of why. And the answer was found by some people in this fraudulent article about MMR vaccine causing autism. And so I think that really is the thing that started the whole debate. Gotcha. Uh, here's another quick question. This is a good one, if I can say that, because this person saying, okay, you mentioned the vaccine side effects reporting system have has and that both physicians and parents re, can report into this. Right? Has there been an increase in side effects reporting over the last few years? Oh, absolutely. You give somebody a, a venue like that and a, a way to report something, they're going to report anything and everything. And so, yes, there's been an increase in side effects reporting, but there's not been an increase in long-term complications. There's not been an increase in, in harmful side effects and anything like that. There's not been an, a sign that there's any evidence, any scientific evidence at all that the vaccines are causing anything bad, even though we do have access to all of this information and the ability for anybody and everybody to put it out there. So I don't think I think what the vaccine reporting system has done is really to prove the point that there's not anything bad going to happen to your child by getting vaccinated. So you're saying it's folks are reporting side effects that really they have been having all along. Absolutely. Okay. And a lot of the side effects, like I mentioned earlier, are side effects from having a needle in your arm, not a side effect from getting measles, mumps, and rubella put in your arm. Gotcha. So we can just let everybody know if they have more questions or comments, they can join us out there in social media. They later. absolutely can. And again, you can email us at drjim at toyourhealth.md or you can tweet us at toyourhealthmd. And so for now, that is to your health.